Hello, everyone. This is Ryan, host and executive producer of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Before we begin tonight's program, I just want to give you a heads up that this is not going to be a very heavy metaphysical program where we explore metaphysical concepts. We're actually going to be exploring aspects about the election, U.S. election. I know I said last week, I said, I don't want to touch this disgusting frequency. But the fact is that we got someone really great. We got a really great expert on, and I do feel it's worth discussing and exploring uh, as deep as we can go. But all aspects of human nature, uh, regardless of if they're positive or negative, I think it's worth discussing and looking into. So I just want to give you a quick heads up. Also want to let you know that the show uh, is not political. We don't take a political position at all or support any candidate at all. We just believe in peace and love and exploring and attaining wisdom in any way, shape, or form. So I just want to give you a quick heads up before we begin tonight's program. Let us begin right now. Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OuterLimitsRadio.com I'm your host, Ryan. Today we're going to feature an introspective interview with Mr. Michael Rivero. Mr. Rivero is a very fascinating individual, very sharp, has an incredible grasp of world events. He's going to talk about the U.S. election. He's going to talk about world events. For those of you who are from a different dimension, who are tuning into our show for the very first time, there was something called an election in the United States, and he oh, was just disgusting, I think. I don't know, or dark, if you want to perceive it. For those of you on a very high frequency, you're probably like, well, this is all part of a greater plan, and it didn't affect me. And for those of you who meditate all the time and are very high in alignment of vibration, you probably didn't even notice this. But for many of us, it was a car crash that you could not stop paying attention to. Some people got sucked into the frequency. I got sucked into the frequency. My day job requires that I monitor this stuff all the time. And it was just like, oh, got all this mud on my Soul and ooh, I, I don't know how many times I'd have saved myself during this election. Mr. Rivero offers a lot of intriguing insights as to what this could mean for humanity, for the U.S. I thought it was really um, important that we, we go into this area. We're always going to go deep and explore all aspects of freak of consciousness, and this is one of them. So let us begin tonight's program with Mr. Michael Rivero. Our guest today on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show is Mr. Michael Rivero. He is host of What Really Happened radio shows on the Republic Broadcasting Network. He is also the founder of WhatReallyHappened.com, now in its 22nd year. I have been learning about Mr. Rivero and his work for several years, and I have to say this gentleman is courageous, and he really does a phenomenal job in putting out information that the mainstream media will not cover. I feel he is a um, advocate of the truth, wherever it may lie, no matter where it can be found. Mr. Rivero, great honor to have you with us today. Thank you for being on the program. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Okay. You said we weren't going to go there. I told the audience last week I didn't want to touch the election, but I guess because everyone's talking about it and people are curious about it, what is your perceptive uh, perception on what had happened in the U.S. presidential election, and is it a monumental uh, moment of significance for humanity? Well, it is certainly significant historically because we had seen this election 
uh, evolved during the primaries as one of the most crooked and dishonest elections in U.S. history. And the American election system, unfortunately, uh, is literally set up to uh, allow uh, elections to be stolen. In fact, the only Western democracy with a more dishonest election system than the United States is Panama. Uh, and up until now, they've got away with it because most Americans didn't realize this was going on with all of these uh, shenanigans. Uh, and, and stolen elections, of, of course, are a fact of political life. Uh, it was a stolen election that led to the Battle of Athens, Tennessee, where the citizenry refused to allow the ballots to be counted in secret uh, and literally armed themselves and uh, took control of the ballot boxes uh, to count the vote uh, in the open and in the public. <clears throat> and uh, we know, of course, that uh, John F. Kennedy stole his election from Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon stole his second election. That was led to the whole Watergate scandal. Uh, we know that there was this huge amount of confusion in Florida in 2000 uh, where we don't actually know who won that election, only that the Supreme Court awarded it to George W. Bush. So we have our current situation where the Democratic leadership is now openly admitting that they threw the primaries to Hillary Clinton uh, and undercut uh, Bernie Sanders uh, to try and uh, get Hillary into the White House. And we saw all kinds of massive election fraud taking place across the country yesterday. But as was the case with the Brexit vote, where uh, they couldn't reverse a public landslide, uh, the voters for Trump were able to prevail uh, and overcome the election fraud uh, in a lot of cases because of the public awareness of the reality of election fraud. We saw election workers taking steps uh, to mitigate it. In some cases, they would see these machines that when you'd press the button for Donald Trump, the vote would flip over to Hillary Clinton. Uh, they just immediately took those machines out of service and went to paper ballots. And so they didn't quite get the traction with the election fraud they thought they were going to get. And Hillary was unable to pull off uh, the theft of the White House. And it is very much historic. And the reason there was so much pressure on this election is because it came down to a choice between a continuation of the current established uh, oligarchy, the status quo, the Bushes and the Clintons just controlling everything and passing the Oval Office off back and forth like some kind of hereditary uh, title uh, and dynastic rule. And Donald Trump, of course, is an outsider. He's not a career politician. He's not steeped in that culture of CIA uh, drug corruption that both the Bushes and the Clintons uh, have uh, grown up in politically. Uh, we've seen in our nation a degree of political corruption uh, unparalleled since the days of prohibition, where those who were dealing in alcohol had enough money to buy and bribe their way to the highest levels of the United States government. There are indications that much of the Kennedy family fortune uh, came from rum running. Uh, certainly, old Joe Kennedy was uh, very tight with a lot of organized crime, uh, and he'd started Prohibition solid, solidly middle class, and he ended Prohibition uh, immensely wealthy, enough to put John F. Kennedy into the White House, Robert Kennedy on the way to the White House when he was assassinated, and Teddy Kennedy on the way to the White House when he had that accident at Chappaquiddick, which may have also been an attempt at a, an assassination. So what we have now is uh, we've had 30 years of very poor government, and it all tracks back to the 1980s to a CIA operation called Operation Screwworm that was smuggling untraceable military weapons into Nicaragua. 
Uh, and all of this was a violation of the Bolin Amendment and the Logan Act, and because it was illegal and the CIA could not get funding from the, con from the Congress for this, they funded it all themselves with cocaine smuggled back into the United States along the supply route uh, and sold to our children. And the northern end of that gun and drug running pipeline was in Arkansas under then-Governor Bill Clinton. And uh, Bill Clinton took care of security, made sure the state drug uh, enforcement authorities stayed away from the uh, airport where this was all taking place, set up a money laundry that involved uh, land flips, banks like Morgan Guarantee, uh, and a state agency, the Arkansas Development Finance Authority, which issued checks to all those who were building the guns and providing supplies for the Nicaraguan supply operation, uh, all of which were carried on the books supposedly as business development loans that were never actually repaid. And along the way, everybody involved got in insanely wealthy, uh, enough money to start building uh, future political careers. And the Clintons' uh, lifetime of crime and corruption dates all the way back to that, uh, Operation Screwworm, which we all know now as the Iran-Contra scandal. So uh, we have seen the Bushes and the Clintons sort of treating the White House like it's their own and passing it back and forth. And yes, Barack Obama got in on the inside back in 2008, but he went along with this whole uh, corruption uh, situation because he wanted to be the president. Donald Trump uh, has not grown up in that culture. Uh, he's a businessman. He, he knows about building buildings and shopping malls. And uh, it is obvious to pretty much everybody, I mean, especially as they're talking about a, a special prosecutor for Hillary Clinton and possibly Trey Gowdy's attorney general, uh, Donald Trump is not going to go along with this. When he sees that the biggest drug smuggler in the country is the country, he is going to take steps to try and shut it all down, uh, much as John F. Kennedy tried to shut down the CIA in the wake of the Bay of Pigs fiasco. And Donald Trump obviously has to be very, very careful because he's going into the White House with as many elements of the government opposed to him as John F. Kennedy had. Uh, and even Paul Craig Roberts is out there saying that Trump has to realize assassination is a very real uh, possibility. Uh, it might even happen before the Electoral College meets, which would give the Electoral College the choice between Hillary Clinton and Mike Pence and actually throw the White House back to Hillary Clinton despite her electoral loss. Wow, it's, it's pretty scary to think about all the things that could happen. I want to um, ask you two questions as far as when you see a culture have leaders that have honor and integrity and you see a culture that have leaders that have dishonor and they're very kind of slimy, is that a direct reflection on the populations themselves? And do you feel that based on this particular election, especially in America, not only just actually not only in America but worldwide, that um, – Nations of people are kind of gearing towards immorality, or are they becoming uh, more honorable or less honorable? What's your perception on that? Well, I think you kind of have it backward. Most hierarchical structures tend to inherit the manners and morals of the people at the top. Okay. And if you have moral leaders, uh, they will inspire morality and good behavior in their population. If you have leaders who are openly corrupt and criminal, then everybody starts to say, okay, that's acceptable behavior. When you look at what the Clintons have been doing, you, you have to realize what an example they're setting for our children. And if you look at the behavior of Hillary's supporters uh, during this recent election, where they were hiring people to go into the Trump rallies and cause violence, uh, they were uh, bribing women to make crime uh, accusations uh, against Donald Trump of sexual assault. Uh, and you all of a sudden start to see, see this culture of corruption 
uh, spread out from the leaders and pervade the society as a whole. Uh, and uh, that, of course, is going to accelerate the decline of our society. Now, when I was young, of course, we aspired uh, to choose leaders who would, in turn, inspire us to be better individuals, people like John F. Kennedy, for example, uh, who we said we want to be more like that person. And uh, today we, we have this unending line of these uh, criminals uh, who are making it more comfortable for us to be just as criminal as they are. Uh, and Donald Trump is a very different individual. Uh, he doesn't drink. Again, he's a businessman. He's not a career politician. He's not obsessed with his historical legacy. Uh, a lot of people were talking about how he was able to prevail over Hillary Clinton, even though Hillary Clinton had so much more money to spend uh, than Donald Trump. And it's because Donald Trump ran his campaign as if it was a business, keeping an eye on the cost, spending his money wisely and prudently, and he was able to prevail. And as president, he's going to do exactly the same thing with the U.S. government, uh, and that can't help but improve our overall economy and uh, efficiency. And this is in stark contrast to most career politicians whose idea is to simply grab as much money as they can and hand it out to their friends and uh, not worry about things like cost overruns, which is why we wind up with boondoggle disasters like the F-35. Okay. Sure, Vero. When you started what really happened 22 years ago, it seems like you were talking about or presenting a side of reality that many of the world, much of the world could not see. It seems that most of the world was relaying to themselves internally what the mainstream media was presenting. Is there any possibility you can please explain a couple examples of what mainstream media presents as truth and what is the reality and at what moment in time of history, a couple examples, when the media was presenting something one way and yet the public saw it in a different light. They saw it for what it really was. Well, I think one of the most uh, obvious recent examples was when the uh, government and the corporate media were pushing this idea of Saddam's nuclear weapons. Uh, even as nuclear weapons experts and experts on Iraq and, and certainly observers the world over were saying this is complete and utter nonsense. Uh, and everybody now understands, yes, the government and the corporate media were lying about Saddam's nuclear weapons to justify a war of conquest. That's why when they went into Syria and started screaming about Assad sarin gas, they couldn't get any traction with it uh, because the American people were basically of this fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, uh, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Uh, because they'd become aware of how many times the government was lying. They were lying about human-caused global warming. Back in 2000, they were saying snowfalls are a thing of the past. We're heading into another brutal winter. And uh, the more I got into the website and researching, the more obvious it became that this has been an ongoing thing, that government controls us and rules us with lies, fraud, and deception, and there's... Uh, th there's nothing new about it, and there's nothing even shocking about it. It's business as usual. It's how they get these things done. And you go back and you look at the start of World War One, and this idea that those those evil Germans uh, sank the Lusitania, uh, which was a harmless passenger ship, and then you find out that, yes, it had been smuggling weapons to Great Britain, which made it a legal target of war. Then you find out the, the government of Germany actually took out ads in the New York papers warning people not to sail on the Lusitania because they were going to sink it. Wow. And they sent the Lusitania off uh, without any military escorts into an area they knew was crawling with U-boats because they, they needed dead passengers to wave at people uh, to, to anger them into the war. Same thing with Pearl Harbor. 
uh, the, the day of infamy and what a big surprise. And then we find out that uh, it wasn't a surprise. A lot, everybody knew the Japanese were coming. Uh, Roosevelt had spent the entire year of 1941 provoking Japan into the attack following a plan developed by Office of Naval Intelligence Lieutenant Commander Arthur H. McCollum. And so you begin to understand. Uh, torpedoes in the Gulf of Tonkin, they never existed. Spanish mine in Havana Harbor didn't exist. And after a while, the American people began to really wake up and understand that we are controlled uh, by, by lies. Uh, we, we live in a real-world va- version of the Matrix, where everything that we can think is reality on those little flat screens in our homes and offices, uh, it's a carefully crafted illusion uh, to get us to think the way the, those in power want us to think. Okay. When you're, with the way you said it, it sounds like you're, you're talking about someone who's well aware and awake, but uh, Michael, I observe the world and I've observed certain generations and I, I don't know, I just don't see a lot of people really questioning the nature of reality as, as well as you described it. I think a lot of people still believe that uh, they don't uh, have any concept of the monetary system. They still believe that it is quite normal to just have two political parties ruling their country and, and that only just goes to America it goes to all other countries throughout the world where they think it's comfortable to go back and forth between one ideology is probably controlled by one big corporation or multiple corporations uh, do you see the world waking up through this yeah. through um, voluntarily or do you see the, the, the awakening happening as a direct result maybe more so of what's happening on the ground, the fact that there's more economic despair, the fact that they are seeing their friends and neighbors experience a very curtailing and a heavy erosion of their civil liberties. Yeah, they're, they're, they're looking around at the real world. They're not letting uh, the, the, the TV sets come on in and say, pay no attention to, to what's going on. You know, we'll tell you what to think here. Uh, right now, polls are showing that only 6% of the people in the United States of America still have any trust in the corporate media. Uh, one of the big lies that we are fed is that if you are doubting uh, the nature of reality and the nature of the government, that you are all alone. And so a lot of people, even as they harbor these doubts, will stay quiet uh, out of politeness. And you come up with this rather amazing image of a room full of people afraid to speak out because they think they're the only one uh, who, who has these doubts, and yet they're standing in the middle of an entire room full of people who are just as aware as they are. But that paradigm is beginning to break down, in, thank, uh, in part thanks to social media, and, and people are coming on out and realizing uh, that our elections are very much rigged, that what we are being told by the, the corporate media uh, is a fiction. And there's one thing that is definitely coming out of yesterday's election, is this awareness that, that the corporate media was very clearly biased towards Hillary Clinton going on in. They were constantly reporting polls, Hillary's ahead, Hillary's ahead, and now they're trying to backpedal and explain why all the polls were wrong, when in point of fact the polls that they were running were not intended to measure public opinion, but to manufacture it, to rely on the herd instinct of people. You know, all your friends and neighbors are voting for Hillary Clinton. Don't you want to vote for Hillary Clinton too? And that's a propaganda tactic that worked back in the 1950s and the 1960s, uh, but it, it's losing its effectiveness now because one of the things people are learning about as they go out on the Internet and they start to research this, they start to learn about these propaganda techniques that are being used. And once you know about them, 
they simply don't work any longer. You recognize it when you see a limited hangout. You recognize a poisoning the well attack. You recognize false flags. And, and you recognize these methods. Uh, the, the online trolls and infiltrators become immediately very, very obvious. You don't even have to work to try and spot them. And it, it's a growing trend, uh, and it's an irreversible trend. And I think uh, its its clearest manifestation was that despite all of the corporate media bias toward Hillary Clinton, uh, that Donald Trump won yesterday. When people are seeing this, as you just described, and they are absorbing new information, what about the fact that many people have are suffering from cognitive dissonance or they have a very strong emotional tie to a person, to an organization? Maybe people probably don't want to believe that their government or their candidate could be capable of acts that are, you know, are described as you know, what you would find in a lot of other media, described as doing dishonorable things. How do those people wake up or are those people incapable of being woken up? Well, they're, they're capable, but it can be very difficult, and there are a couple of overlapping phenomenon you need to be aware of. Uh, first of all, we're all raised to think that we are a great people, that we are courageous, uh, that we would uh, take a stand against injustice. We watch TV shows, and we project into those characters and say, yes, I would be like that. I would take a stand against injustice. I would be Zorro against the alcalde and free uh, the laborers. But then the moment you're actually confronted uh, with any indication that your government is, in fact, behaving badly, you're faced with that question, what are you going to do about it? Because to do something about it does entail risks uh, to your to your uh, job, to your to your life, uh, but to go along with it, you have to sacrifice that image of being a courageous and just human being. Most people don't even want to face that question, and people like that will desperately accept and grab onto any propaganda the government will hand on out so they can go on saying, I'm a just and courageous person, I would take a stand against uh, wrongdoing by the government, I just don't see any reason to have to do it right now. So that's one phenomenon that you need to deal with. But behind that, there's an even more powerful uh, enslavement tool of the population. And that is that you will have government, and for that matter churches, will grab children when they're very, very, very young, when they're too young to know that the big people are often full of nonsense, uh, and they will start indoctrinating certain beliefs into them. Then as the child grows up, the personality evolves around those core beliefs, until those beliefs become part of that person's identity. And the giveaway on that is the language. Uh, people don't say, I, I, I believe in the platform of the Republican Party. They say, I am a Republican. I am a Christian. I am a this. They become that which is believed in. And it's part of their identity. And when you present any kind of information that challenges that core belief, uh, the, the mind perceives it as a personal attack. And they will react that way. And it is one of the most powerful indoctrination methods that are out there. And you can walk away from that. It takes a, a major act of will to walk away from those core beliefs. And you can actually go through a period of disorientation and almost an identity crisis. I'm sorry about the news coming in uh, from uh, my computer, the noise coming in from my computer. Uh, you, and you can actually uh, you know, have a period of confusion following that. But, of course, you come out the other side, and all of a sudden you're, you're finding yourself a much more liberated and free individual. So you have those mechanisms. And then finally you have uh, the fact that a lot of politicians, and Hillary Clinton is certainly one of them, will run their campaigns as a personality cult. 
in that the attraction of the campaign is not the ideology, it's not the policies, it's not the platforms, it's worship of that central figure, whether it's a Hillary Clinton or a Jim Jones down in Jonestown, you know, pouring out the Kool-Aid. And uh, people who are caught up in a personality cult, uh, again, they identify with that person to where they feel they share an identity. And again, anything that calls uh, the qualities of the cult figurehead into question is reacted to by the mind as if it's a personal attack. And uh, uh, Adolf Hitler ran the Nazi Party as a personality cult. Uh, in fact, all of history's greatest tyrants uh, have run their governments and political structures as personality cults because it does create fanatical servants. Do you think that a personality cult is the only form of true governance in the current state of the United States right now? And I bring it to your attention because you have such a high percentage of the population that's completely dependent on government services and who seem to advocate a lot of their personal responsibility. I thought that a lot of people in the country or not even that or worldwide think that because you pull a lever on a ballot every four years that that's the extent of your expression of freedom. And it just makes me sick that, you know, you should be expressing – can't you express your freedom every day? Can't you be creative? Can't you do something to further the, uh, the, the cause of liberty, not only for yourself but your fellow, fellow citizens? So I'm curious. Do you think that a president in the United States or in any other part of the world could govern um, as a person, as an inspiration, but not so much as a dictator or cult of personalities you described. Well, well you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, and again, this is part of the big lie control mechanism that we are, are given, this idea that our entire responsibility, our entire involvement in government is to go into that voting booth and push a button. The next day they tell us who our leaders are, and then we go on about our lives paying taxes and breeding workers and soldiers. Uh, but uh, that isn't the way it was supposed to be. The United States was set up where people took an active part in their own governance on an ongoing daily basis. And I am certainly encouraging my readers and listeners uh, that with Donald Trump's election victory yesterday, our work is not over. It's just now starting. Because if we want Donald Trump to change things, we're going to have to stand shoulder to shoulder with him and make it happen. Because even though the House is now GOP and the Senate is GOP, it's still filled with a lot of people who believe in the status quo that made them rich, that made them powerful, that made them comfortable. And uh, it's going to be an obstructionist Congress, even though it's in the same party uh, as Donald Trump. And it's worth remembering that the Republican Party itself turned their back on Donald Trump. That's how much of a threat they think he is to the status quo. So we're all going to have to work together on that. Now, in terms of governance, I'm a firm believer that self-governance is the only legitimate form of governance at all uh, and that it should be direct. It should be participatory. Uh, and again, the, uh, when the United States was formed, uh, authority and power was diffused across the land where people who lived in a town voted on issues that affected the town. People who lived in a county voted on issues that uh, affected the county. It wasn't all concentrated in this one central government in Sodom on the Potomac that we had to give our money and obedience to and then hope and pray that they would actually send something back. Michael, I'm going to ask you this question because I have to respect the listeners who are out there that may have actually had a lot of uh, apprehensions about Donald Trump, and I'm going to say I'm one of those individuals 
who believes that when you listen to him speak, he sounded like a dictator in some ways. He just talked about, you know, exercising him being the law and order candidate, that there wasn't enough police or fascism going on in the U.S. as it is. So when he's saying things like that, when he's talking about uh, utilizing the, the um, violence of the state in order to achieve a certain goal, does that bother you? Does that concern you? And based on John Whitehead from the Rutherford Institute who wrote an article about the true extent of what the presidential powers are, does it concern you that not only uh, Donald Trump but any other president, uh, future president of the U.S., could become a dictator at the snap of a finger? Well, we've been hovering at the edge of dictatorship all along, and I'd like to back up regarding uh, the concept of fascism uh, mm-hmm. because it's more an economic term than it is a political one. Okay. Uh, and I'd like to give you a couple of, of, of quick definitions here. Capitalism is a system under which if you make money, you get to keep it. And if you lose money, you are responsible for that loss. Because freedom means not only the freedom to succeed, it means the freedom to fail and the responsibility to accept either outcome. Now, socialism is a system in which if you make money, it's taxed away from you for the betterment of society. If you lose money, society is taxed to cover the losses so you can pick up and try again. Fascism is a system in which if you make money, you get to keep it, and if you lose money, society is taxed to cover the losses. And after decades of TARP and bailout and uh, all the saving the banks at the uh, expense of the people, it's very clear the United States has stopped being a capitalist society and became fascist years and years ago. And the irony is that Vladimir Lenin actually predicted when Western capitalism began to fail, it would inevitably turn to fascism to preserve its wealth privilege and power. So I want to take the word fascist out of what's going on. When Donald Trump talks about using uh, force, uh, he's addressing the issue that uh, this open borders experiment has turned into an absolute disaster, both here in the United States uh, and uh, over there in Europe. And I'll give you one good example. When Trump's victory in the election was announced, uh, all over the West Coast, especially California, you had all these illegal immigrants started rioting, burning the American flag and burning cars and everything, because uh, they had been promised that if they could sneak across the border into the U.S., uh, register to vote, which is illegal, vote for Hillary Clinton, which is illegal, vote multiple times, which is illegal, they'd get amnesty and an eventual green card, and now all of a sudden that's not going to happen. And so they're, they're out there rioting. Well, what are you going to do? Let them riot? Let them go on destroying property? Uh, they're the ones who are initiating force. They have to be met with force. Can you please tell our audience about a little bit about yourself? Where did you grow up? How did your career um, begin? And when did you really start to um, get really passionate about presenting this side of the world that you're doing, you've been doing for the last 22 years? Well, um, originally I'm a farm kid from New England, and uh, my family moved to California. We arrived on my 12th birthday. Uh, and, of course, we were in California filmmaking, Hollywood and everything. <laughs> Uh, and I did uh, a brief stint as a child actor, and then uh, I remember I was in high school uh, and thinking about what I wanted to do with my life, and I was thinking about, you know, continuing in, in show business, and so I got the lecture from my parents. Uh, we, we know you're talented. We know you're sort of good-looking, uh, but there are 15 million people in Hollywood trying to find work, and there's only three jobs, and those people who don't get those jobs become hookers and drug dealers and lawyers, and we don't want that for you. So uh, I had another interest in my life at the time, which was astronomy, which I'd been pursuing, and I'd actually won uh, a science fair in high school, which brought me to the attention of some of the people up at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and I literally got hired by the space program right out of high school, 18 years old, 
uh, and I worked uh, for JPL uh, during the summer and then uh, went to uh, college during uh, the, the, the school season. And uh, I really had a, a very, very good time, and I stayed with NASA until the post-Apollo layoffs when about 90% of NASA got let go. And uh, uh, so all of a sudden I was out of work, and I was here saying, well, I'd played it safe the way my parents had told me to do it, and I'm still out of work and hungry and everything. And so a friend of a friend of my gardener's, hairdresser's, chiropodist's, lawyer's, mailman's boyfriend, uh, who knew about my strange dual background of having been an actor and knowing a lot about this new-fangled thing called the microcomputer, sent me over to this cinder block, hole-in-the-wall place in Van Nuys called Industrial Light and Magic. And I walked in through the front door, and I said, Oh, these guys. And I, it was a classic case of being in the right place at the right time, and I started up with them, and I had this wonderful time uh, in Hollywood uh, doing uh, uh, early days of computer animation, Robert Abel and Associates, Hanna-Barbera, uh, and had a really, really good time, and, and that was kind of the path my life was on. So fast forward to 1994, and uh, I, I'm working in Hollywood. i got a good career going. i got a bunch of screen credits. I've won a bunch of trophies and film awards and everything. Uh, and quite by accident, I'm, I'm working. I've got a shop in my home, plus I'm doing outside work, and I'm working in my home, and I'm watching TV, and, and all of a sudden this story comes on from ABC News uh, about this White House lawyer who was found in Fort Marcy Park. And they had a photo there uh, of this hand and a gun next to it and saying this is the, the, the guy shot himself in the mouth with this gun. Now, my business at that time was knowing what makes things look real on film and TV and what doesn't. And the instant I looked at that picture, I said, this thing's a fake. This is staged. <laughs> you know, if I did work this bad, I wouldn't be working anymore. <laughs> so I, I hit the frame cap button on there, and I printed it out as a hard copy. And at that time, I was working for uh, a company down in Hollywood that shared the same building as uh, CNN's Hollywood division. And so uh, that lunch, we're outside. We, we, there was this outdoor cafe that everybody shared. And uh, I'm sitting at the table showing this picture around to my coworker, saying, this, this, this is wrong. This is not a suicide. This is fake. And I remember very clearly some people from CNN at the next table listening to me very intently. And that very night, we started getting the threatening phone calls. Uh, the next day, I went back into that shop, and I had been fired without any explanation. And I found out later on that uh, the, the FBI had come on in and told the owner of the company, you don't want this guy working for you. Uh, and my career was basically uh, over. They were spreading all kinds of vile rumors about me. Just because uh, you pointed this out? Just because I pointed this out. And uh, uh, I didn't realize who it was I had offended with this thing. I mean, I was trying to do the right thing. This is a murder made to look like a suicide. See something, say something. And I was trying to do the right thing. I wasn't trying to be an enemy of anybody. And I remember taking this up to some friends I had at the uh, network news uh, uh, on the TV networks and them saying, we know, we can't touch it, it's our jobs. Uh, and at that point, I began to realize I had just blindly stumbled into something and, and I couldn't find any work anywhere. And all of a sudden, since I had so much free time on my hands, um, I, I started digging a little more and I found the uh, FBI's FD302 forms which showed they had fraudulently manufactured the testimony of Lisa Foster identifying the gun found with the body. Uh, and I, I took a little sub-page on what was at that time my animation 
resume website, and that was the beginning of what became whatreallyhappened.com. And the more I dug, the more I found, and it was like this grand awakening, and uh, the, the site grew and grew and grew, and we had to leave Southern California because we were getting all these death threats, and uh, we literally hit out in Washington State for, uh, for a little over a year, and then I got a call from uh, an animation company here in Hawaii that was owned by Japanese that didn't care that the White House hated my guts. Uh, and they brought us out here to Hawaii, and I worked on the movie, and when the movie was over, it was called Final Fantasy, this, and uh, uh, we decided to stay here because we were very comfortable, and we started our own business doing local TV commercials and everything. And ultimately, I wound up working uh, four, se- uh, four seasons as a visual effects producer on Lost, uh, the pilot for the new Hawaii Five-0, a year of uh, off-the-map and during that time, of course, the website continued to grow. I started doing talk radio in 2007. And finally, I had to make a choice. There was only so much Michael to go around. And so I put down the film and TV work, and I said, I'm going to focus on the website and the radio show full time because by this point, the issues had spread way beyond what happened to me and Claire because I began to see this pattern of this growing uh, surge toward a dictatorship in this country, and even worse, a march to a new world war, which in my view uh, could not be won by the U.S. conventionally, which meant the inevitability of nuclear arms. And I decided maybe instead of making movies and TV shows about saving the world, uh, that I'd actually go on out and try and save the world. And that kind of brings us to where we are right now. Jeez, that's an amazing story, an amazing background, and as far as the march towards war, I'm wondering if the powers that be are as strong as they as they are, or at least the reported are, would they really let one person get in their way? Would they really – I thought the president was of any country was, theoretically speaking, a puppet, and the people behind the scenes hold the real power. Is there anything significant about this particular election? Does Trump actually hold significant power? And do any other leaders of any other nations actually hold significant power that could actually, theoretically speaking, prevent well, uh, the, a- the power is always kind of balanced between the backers, but the important thing uh, – I'm sorry. I don't know why that's doing that. Let me turn this down. <sighs> okay. The important thing to remember about Donald Trump is he's a billionaire. He's got his own money. He doesn't need anybody to give him anything. He can't be bought. He can't be bribed. He's going to do what he thinks is right. And that's what makes him such a destabilizing influence. Now, it it, it could very well be that our current regime will try and start a war with Russia before Donald Trump can take office. But Putin has already sent a message to Donald Trump congratulating him on his victory and saying, let's go back to being friends. Uh, We're seeing over in the Duterte, who was breaking off diplomatic relations with the U.S. and pivoting to China uh, because of Obama's interference in how the Philippines treats their drug criminals, uh, he's now saying to Trump, we'll come back and be friends with the U.S. once you're in office. So uh, uh, Trump is very much opposed to war. He knows uh, it doesn't benefit anybody except the weapons manufacturers and the big banks. And he's, he's already stated publicly many times he wants to go back to being friends with China. He wants to be friends with Russia. He wants to engage in trade. He wants to do business. He wants peace through commerce. And that's a message that a lot of people are resonating with. Uh, but uh, for, the, uh, for the money junkies in this country, unfortunately, they're seeing a new world war as their best, fastest path uh, to even greater riches than they have today. Do you feel in your experience or from what you observe that fear or influx fear has a limited shelf life? Can you only keep people in perpetual state of fear, in perpetual state of war for so long? 
I bring it to your attention because it seems that it has worked in North Korea for such a long period of time. They're in total, they're in total totalitarian state, and it works magically apparently. But I'm wondering, is the rest of the world are they growing old? Are they running out of steam? Are they running out of enough can fear? Yeah, I, I think I think that's true, and I'm not sure that we really have an accurate picture of what is going on in North Korea. Uh, again, because what we know about North Korea, we're getting from that same corporate media that was telling us back in 2000, snowfalls are a thing of the past. But it's true. There is a specific uh, neurotransmitter uh, in the brain uh, that signals fear. And uh, it, it takes a while for it to be renewed and regenerated. So you literally can keep people in a state of fear until it burns out. And it's not a question of not being afraid anymore. It's a, a, a situation of physically being unable to feel fear any longer, and usually at that point, all that's left is the anger. And that's when the Bastille gets stormed. Uh, that's when Charles I gets beheaded. Uh, that's when Mussolini gets hung up. That's when Ceausescu gets machine gunned. Jeez, you know, when they've heard things in the past that uh, the elites are really afraid of an awakened and aware populace, but if the elites are living in their palaces that they own so much, that they have so much, what could they possibly be afraid of? And I'm going to follow up with this thing, too. I've observed and I've talked to previous guests in our program about the citizenry, not only in the U.S., but across the world, that I feel like the critical thinking capabilities have been diminished substantially. I think a lot of it has to do with the technology that we're um, a stimulation of cess culture, that we constantly need to be uh, obsessed. There's that crisis of the fear of now. I'm wondering how you see it, and if you think that even if the population was fully awake, fully aware, what possibly, what possible threat could they oppose or be a threat to the elite? Okay, well, I want to back up here a little sure. bit where you're talking about the elites living in their palaces and what do they have to be afraid of. Yep. Uh, you need to understand that every ruling system uh, operates effectively like a religion. Uh, it's able to do what it does economically because the subject population believes that's the way life is supposed to be. Uh, w during the times of slavery, uh, they were able to get away with it because the slaves believed that was just the way life was supposed to be. Uh, during uh, the uh, days of divine rule by divine right, they, the, the kings got away with it because the population believed that was the way life was supposed to be. We are slaved to private central banks issuing the public currency as a loan at interest because our schools have taught us to believe that's the way life is supposed to be. What most terrifies any ruler, what leads to the downfall of any ruler, is when the population stops believing that life is the way it's supposed to be and they start envisioning something that might be better. And that's when revolutions come about. Do you think at this point that even if the alternative media ceased to exist, that what is in motion right now will ultimately stay in motion, I'll bet, at a slower pace? I would say that that's certainly true, but I don't see the independent media going uh, uh, any place. There are so many of us. And you need to remember that what ultimately brought down the former Soviet Union was uh, fax machines. Uh, it was a network of fax machines run by the, the Soviet people, and they called it the Samizdat. And uh, it, it was far less efficient than the Internet and the independent media, but it, it worked. Uh, people would have a fax machine. They'd write an article. They'd put it in the fax machine, which was programmed to send it to ten other fax machines. The people who got it on those would put it back in their machine, would send it on to ten more. And so it was 10 times 10 times 10 times 10, and after just a couple of days, the article would be everywhere in the Soviet Union. And the Soviet government couldn't get it uh, under control, couldn't interfere with it, couldn't censor it. 
Uh, it was a distributed peer-to-peer communication system. Well, the Internet and the independent media is far more potent and powerful than that, and it's not going to go away. And there are so many historical parallels between what's going on today with the Internet and what happened uh, sociologically when Gutenberg rediscovered movable type printing. And all of a sudden, books stopped being the property of the ultra-rich, the middle class could afford them, literacy exploded, people started reading, they started being exposed to information that was not being fed to them by their priests and their, their nobility, uh, and ultimately it led to the King James Bible because every church was changing the holy text to suit their own particular agenda. Uh, but uh, even back then, there were efforts to try and get printing under control, to go ahead and ban books for the middle classes, and none of it really worked. And those institutions that were able to evolve and adapt to a new environment of greater information and literacy and awareness of the people survived. And those institutions that couldn't evolve and adapt to that new reality went extinct. And we're seeing exactly the same thing happening here today. And the U.S. government finds itself paralyzed by 200 years of lies, fraud, and deception to the American people. It can't evolve and adapt. It can't stand up and say, you caught us, we lied to you about JFK, we lied to you about 9-11, we lied to you about uh, the USS Maine and the rest of it, or it, it would be simply torn apart by a very angry populace. Do you find, if you were to say, um, if you were to pick one of these two choices, do you feel that not only the American public, but maybe a majority of people worldwide on this planet, do you think that they are more afraid of being dominated by a tyrannical government or do you think they are more afraid of having to take personal responsibility for their own lives? I think, and this is a guess, I think they're more afraid of a tyrannical government. Uh, I do know there are people who prefer not to have to take responsibility uh, for their life, and we find a lot of those among Hillary Clinton supporters who prefer the nanny state without realizing that the, the nanny comes with strings attached to it. But I, I, I think the Trump victory signals that Americans want to go back to being self-reliant, that they're coming to understand enforced dependence represents a form of slavery. Uh, and this is actually something that led to the first American Revolution, where King George III came on into the American colonies and said, uh, you're not allowed to print up your own money anymore. You will borrow banknotes at interest from the Bank of England. You are dependent on the Bank of England. You will be dependent on the British East India Company for tea and other supplies. You will be dependent on the knitting mills of Manchester and Leeds for your clothing. You're not allowed to make things for yourself. And the American colony said it's a dishonest monetary system, and we are in a state of enforced dependence uh, to economically exploit us. Uh, and that's why we call July 4th Independence Day. We don't call it Freedom Day or we kicked out the British Day. It's the day that Americans gained their independence to choose how best to live their own life. When somebody challenges the conventional wisdom of thinking, challenges anything, they, they call you a conspiracy theorist. Mm -hmm. It's a damning term. Oh, you're, you're some kind of conspiracy theorist. Now, of all the things that could be done as far as bringing, people, uh, bringing to the attention of people what facts are, what this is, what that is, do you feel that if people were to work towards changing the meaning of conspiracy theorists, that that could have an even greater impact 
on people questioning things because they feel cool and feel comfortable to be a conspiracy theorist. Because I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think a conspiracy theorist is actually a, a wonderful thing because it shows that at least you're, you're asking questions. Like, you know, thank you for thinking. So I want to know what your perspective is on that. Well, the phrase conspiracy theorist was actually coined by the CIA in the wake of the John F. Kennedy assassination as a linguistic device for the corporate media to dismiss those who had information contradicting the official story without having to actually deal with what they were saying. Oh, it's a conspiracy theorist. We don't need to talk to you. <laughs> and, uh, 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 of course, one way to counter that is to point out all the conspiracy theories that turned out to be right and proven. Uh, but I, I think a better way for us to deal with it uh, is we don't use that term ourselves. We're, we're truth researchers. We're independent media uh, journalists. And right now, the independent media is being quite a respectable term, uh, especially standing in contrast with the corporate media. So uh, I, I, I think just calling yourself a truth researcher uh, or, or, or independent media is a better solution than trying to redefine conspiracy theorist uh, after some 30, 40 years of being told it's a negative. Excellent. Mr. Michael Rivero, host of What Really Happened Radio on the Republic Broadcasting Network, founder of whatreallyhappened.com. Great honor to have you with us today, sir. So thankful for your time, and thank you for your great efforts and your contributions to humanity. Well, thank you very much for having me on the air, and I look forward to doing it again. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. No! Don't worry, it's going to be fine. We're going to do more shows, I assure you. Special thanks to our phenomenal guest, Mr. Michael Rivero. Special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Laura Lynn, Ms. Lisa Caza, and Ms. Constance Dallas. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Tooth Radio Show, please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. So the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care. Thank you so much for listening.